This episode of the Expat Cast is sponsored by BetterHelp. As expats, immigrants, foreigners, people living abroad, we face plenty of challenges outside the norm that might sometimes feel like a little bit too much. Especially when you add on to that a global pandemic that separates you from friends and family and isolates you in your new country. So, yeah, I can understand why some of y'all might be interested in seeking therapy. BetterHelp is a great option for just that. They are an online service that connects you with a qualified therapist with whom you can do sessions via video, via telephone, or even via chat. I actually have several expat friends here in Germany who use BetterHelp for their therapy. One fellow American found it important that her therapist understands her U.S. background. For another, her insurance just didn't cover therapy, so she was going to have to pay out of pocket either way, and BetterHelp can actually be a bit cheaper than in-person therapy. One major benefit is how quick and easy BetterHelp is. Finding therapy through the German system can mean months of paperwork, a language barrier, a cultural barrier, all things that can make an already overwhelmed feeling even worse. But with BetterHelp, you actually get matched within 48 hours of signing up, and then you can get right to diving into the issues that brought you there in the first place. To learn more and sign up yourself, head on over to betterhelp.com slash expatcast. And as a special offer to the expatcast listeners, you can actually save 10% on your first month. Once again, that's betterhelp.com slash expatcast. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to the expatcast. This is the podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on the journey to finding home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole. Somehow, the season is already almost over. After this week, we have got five more episodes before it's time for a season break. And I always like to do something special for the last episode. I've been debating what I should do, what I would like to do. Normally, I like to do something that gets you guys involved, so we get to hear a collection of your stories around a single topic. And one that was really fun for me in the past was doing Ask the Expat, so an advice-themed episode where you guys sent in your, your questions, your problems, and me and a fellow expat gave some insights and advice out of our own personal opinion. I'm leaning towards that for the season finale, but I had one other topic that's been on my mind, and I just want to throw it out there and see if anyone is up to do this. So one topic that's been on my mind a lot recently is the topic of having kids. I'll go ahead and try to be a bit vulnerable and honest here and say, yeah, I'm I'm questioning myself if I want to have kids or not. And for me, I'm realizing that geography is playing a pretty big role in this deliberation. It's got me asking a lot of the people around me what their decision is and how they made it. And especially with expats, with other people living abroad, I'm deeply curious if this has played a role in anyone else's deliberations. I think about things such as when you're living abroad, you don't have family support right there, but maybe you don't want to live in your home country anymore. Or maybe you're really enjoying travel, but of course with kids it's different or more complicated or you're worried about your kids feeling comfortable in this other country if you've already had kids and then you're thinking about moving abroad, or you're worried about your kids only being from your new country and not really having your home country in their identity, you know, and things like sharing common childhood experiences, things like that. So anyway, there's a lot of reasons why this expat life, this immigrant life, this life abroad, however it is for you, however you're identifying it, why and how that might play a role. 
So if you guys would be down for it, I would be very excited to do the season finale as a roundup of your responses to that prompt. Um, but on the other hand, maybe this is more of a me problem <laughs> and listeners don't really have much to say on the topic or they are not interested in the topic, in which case we could totally go a different direction. But for me, it's always important to involve a community where possible. So yeah, this is one I would love to hear your thoughts on. So if you're following me on Instagram or on Twitter at the expatcast, you can let me know there, or you can email me at theexpatcast.com. Let me know if you're up for that topic. All right, enough about that, though actually not really enough about that because it's related to the episode in a way. This week's episode is with the wonderful Kate from Share the Love blog. She is an expat coach specializing in expat partners. I interviewed Kate way back in 2018, right when I was starting with the podcast, so all the way back in season one. And there we talked about this whole concept of the expat partner, which maybe you guys have heard online as a trailing spouse, and how Kate decided to focus her energies on this topic. Then I had her on again, one day shy of being exactly one year ago, and that episode got a bit more into Kate's personal life, because Kate is from Germany, but she was living in Chicago and planning to move back to Germany when the pandemic hit and they had to basically flee the US, super last minute, got on one of the last flights out of the US to Germany in March of 2020. And yeah, I mean, if you want a crazy pandemic story that'll take you all the way back to the beginning of this whole mess, that is definitely an episode to check out. (laughs) I'll link both those episodes in the show notes. And I'm really excited to have Kate back again because she has done a research study into the topic of expat partners, or actually better said expat women, because in the case of her study, the participants are not the expat partners, but rather they are the one in the partnership whose job brought the the family or the couple abroad. So they are the breadwinners and they had a job offer abroad and they decided to take it. Kate always has a great mixture of quantitative and qualitative analysis and data, and this study is no exception. So it's a very interesting study and a very interesting conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy. My name is Kate. I'm originally from Germany and I'm currently in Germany as well. Um, After living and working abroad in the US, uh, we came back to Germany about almost two years ago. And we had the delightful experience of getting to meet ages and ages ago when I was a a newborn podcaster. (laughs) Because when you were in the US, you were in Chicago, where I used to live. We actually got to meet then. And then what's funny is I had ended up moving to Freiburg, which is near where you're originally from. So we used to have crossed paths, but now you're back. (laughs) We're both Germany side. Listeners may remember we talked to you almost a year ago about repatriating and how that's been. And now we're back to talk about a very cool project you've been working on. How about you introduce us to the project at hand? What is the topic and and how did this become a, a subject for you? So um, I conducted a study called the Thriving Female Expat. It all started with this, you know, curiosity of, okay, those female breadwinners who are coming home and telling their husband, hey, I have this job offer, let's move abroad. Um, And I was curious about this kind of, you know, particular woman. Who is she? What is she doing? Why is she doing what she's doing? Who is she compared to the accompanying partner? 
Whereas the other way around, where the husband is coming home asking her, hey, honey, could you quit your job and we move abroad? So it was basically just me being curious to find more about the female breadwinners. And also I was completely aware of the fact that there are so few of them. As a coach for expert partners, every day I'm in touch with women who are accompanying their partner abroad, thinking about, okay, what to do professionally. And all of them are women. And I know for a fact that, you know, about 80% of the expert partner are women. So I was just, you know, curious to see the other side of that um, and to find out more about the breadwinner, the female breadwinner who moves abroad um, and to see uh, if that is challenging for her and what is on her mind and to actually understand why in 2022 there are still so few of them. All such interesting and exciting questions, and I'm thrilled that I'm about to get to hear <laughs> the the answers to all of those questions, because you did it. You went ahead and did all the research, made an, an entire study about this. So basically, what was your method? Because I, I think this is such a cool area of study, because it's sort of conceptual questions about broader topics that seem almost untenable. Career and and family and individual pursuits and all these kind of things. So how did you take all of these concepts and make them concrete and something that you could actually look at head on? So first I did the theory theoretical part, like you know, diving into academic papers and studies and reading and reading and reading. And then I had like five interviews scheduled with those women and talking to them. And back then I was thinking, okay, maybe write a blog post about that. That's it. But after those five conversations, it was so interesting and I had so much to share. And I understood, okay, they also have this willingness to share their story, this urge to, you know, um, explain why they're doing what they're doing and what uh, challenges challenges they have. So I thought, okay, five is not enough. A blog post is not enough. There are so many open questions still. So at the end, I talked to 30 women, so female breadwinners who moved proactively abroad and took their career with them. And maybe the family, some of them, yes, some of them, no. Then I transcribed all those interviews, which was (laughs) kind of uh, tough work, um, but you know, it was summertime, um, not so many coachings back then because exit families are traveling. So I had the time on my hand. And then I put all those interviews in this qualitative um, analytics system called MaxQDA, which a colleague of mine recommended me, you know, explaining me um, how to convert those transcripts into really interesting data, right? And, and to combine that uh, with the academic papers and the studies I have read before. And so at the end, it's like um, a very comprehensive uh, study that I w- it was not intended that way, but it just, you know, got bigger and bigger. And uh, what I like most about that, it's not only theoretical parts, it's also a lots and lots of quotes from them, because I was actually pretty amazed that these women were willed to share very, very openly about their life with me, a complete stranger. So those quotes have been so interesting that I thought, okay, I can't keep them just on my hard drive. I have to put them anonymously in the in the study itself as well. And where did these five and then 30 women come from? <laughs> All around the world. I, I asked my, my community, hey, do you know someone who moved abroad proactively, uh, who took the career with her or who did the initiative there and who was not the accompanying partner? That was like my number one 
condition there. So you have to do it on yourself. And I asked my network and community. And at the end, there have been more than 30 women. So um, I were in contact with 100, uh, 100 women and just, you know, tested if, if I have like every kind of story. So at the end, after 30 conversations, I realized, okay, now it's getting a little bit repetitive. But the 30 stories itself, none of them is the same. That's, you know, very, very diverse. They're working in very different fields, tourism, automotive. Some of them are like just doing part-time jobs. And some of them are CFOs and CEOs. So, you know, you have everything there. You have single moms. You have moms with four children. You have singles, uh, everything. I want to jump right to it. What did you find? So, um, you know, when I was reading through those academic papers, there are three reasons why there are so few female expats. Um, and they've been mentioned and mentioned again. They've been mentioned the first time in the 80s and still up today in 2022, they are discussed. So there are actually three potential reasons and I tested all of them in my uh, with my participants of the study. The first one is actually the supposed lower willingness of women to accept international assignments. We are saying that, okay, women don't want to because you know, they have been socialized under this female gender role and they're consequently not interested in international assignments. You know, uh, their focus is more on family planning than career and, and global career is just too complex for them. So they're shying away. The next reason that is mostly mentioned is the organizational hypothesis that, you know, Western managers are reluctant to send women abroad because women are just high risk. Maybe the, the physical safety abroad but also because international assignments are very costly. Because as a manager, you don't trust your employee. You want to be on the safe side. You choose the man. You know why I'm saying this? It's so outdated, but still after today, uh, we're discussing this potential reason. And the third reason is the cultural uh, reason that women are not effective in other cultural environments because they are not respected by foreign managers, especially in countries that are women unfriendly. And so all these three reasons I tested against with my participants and asked them about their experience. Some of them are true and some of them are not true. <laughs> I'm interested in looking in all of them um, one mm -hmm. by one, but I, I guess let's start off with the one that women would not be effective in this global environment. Because actually I would have almost made the opposite assumption. Women are oftentimes quite flexible and yeah, I mean, this is all speaking a bit in stereotypes, but that women are very focused on the, the interpersonal and the relationships in life mm -hmm. and that this would actually make them more adept at going into a different cultural setting and understanding that it's different and being able to adapt to that. So I, I, yeah, let's start with that myth. Yeah, you're totally right. All your points are really valid. <laughs> so uh, good job there. You have tons of academic papers out there who did their research on that topic, you know, asking whether men or women are better in the in the job assignment abroad. And, you know, results have been very clear. They're either the same or women tend to be also a bit better because of intercommunications, intercommunication skills. You know, as you said, they are more um, they're better with empathy, which is important in foreign assignments and stuff like that. And when I asked um, my participants, the majority said they would assess their work performance better than uh, to local male uh, colleagues, or at least the same. So that was not an issue at all. And this seems to be um, just a big myth. But what I found, for example, is that while women tend to do the better job, they're not getting the same uh, packages. You know, they're not getting the same salary. And they're not having the same uh, expert packages in, in, in terms of housing, cars, 
they have inferior repatriation career planning assessments. So, you know, normally when you're working abroad, you tend to come back to your headquarter and being promoted. And for women, this is not the case in comparison to males. So um, there is a disadvantage there. But on the job, doing the job, women tend to be actually better. And now this other myth, um, this concept that the issue is not on the women, but rather in the companies, that the companies don't believe in the women or yes. that they don't seek to, to send them. How, how did that hold water? That is quite true, actually, unfortunately, still today. Many of those women actually told me it was very hard for them to get chosen for the job assignment. So they had been applied again and again and again, and they have seen that their male colleagues have been promoted and sent abroad, but not them. Most of these women I talked to, they took methods into their own hands. They accepted inferior jobs, you know, not leading positions abroad, but just any position, and then raised the ladder there uh, locally. Or meaning they left the company, uh, switched industries, for example, banking and tourism seem to be industries which are very good to female employment um, and female careers. Or they just left the company and applied locally abroad. So actually, that was very interesting for me. The moment they realized, okay, the company is not supporting them, they just quit or they just changed and took matters into their own hand and self-initiated the expatriation. So that really disproves the other myth, uh, the third one of that women just don't want to go abroad because <laughs> of the struggle to balance, you know, work and family life. It seems to to debunk that pretty soundly. <laughs> yes, yes, but actually, this third myth it's the most complex one in my experience and from the conversations I had with those women. So thinking about this myth that the culture is maybe. A disadvantage? No, right? Only 30% of those women said, okay, they have to do more abroad to be accepted. But the majority said, okay, no, it's, it's, we are the same as men. The organizational myth was like, okay, but you know, then we just do it somewhere else. But the individual one is kind of complex. I mean, those 30 women are the best role models uh, showing that you can do it, you know, that all those potential reasons are just myth. But those are women who already did it, right? And the question is, why are there so few female expats? It's actually true that many women are shying away from accepting global assignments uh, when they are in this traditional family role with children and a partner because their male partner is not so uh, willed to quit his job and move abroad as mm -hmm. the female expat partner. And that's actually unfortunately true. And I can you know, see that in my daily uh, coachings uh, all the time as well. Because you mentioned that you spoke with women from a range of families, from, you know, being single to, um, I imagine there were also some people who were partnered but without kids, from single parents all the way up to people with larger families. So did you notice any patterns in their individual family structures and how that played into if this myth was true for them or not? So I have seen everything. There was an interesting correlation with age. It seems like the younger the participants, the more tricky and complex this question of family planning is. It makes sense because when you are a boomer, you already decided pro or contra kids, right? So some of them actually proactively chosen the international career and said, okay, that means for me, no family, no traditional family model. And they're okay with that. And the younger the participants, 
they are like, okay, it just happens. And now I have to deal with that. And they are more questioning whether this was the right choice or not. Interestingly enough, it was always the matter of whether there is a partner or not who supported them in their journey. I have the highest, highest respect for the single moms I interviewed. Having children and working is complex enough. Having children and working abroad is even more complex. And doing it without a partner, without support, is just incredible. I was able to see that in their faces when talking to them. I have, I guess, never seen prouder women. Yeah, because I mean, imagining not only this big life change for for them and their kid, but also uh, on a very practical level, if you're moving abroad, you're most likely moving away from the friends and the family that pitch in. And in every family situation, it takes a village to raise anyone, but especially for single parents, that's even more true. So to leave that behind, plus all of the other challenges, and then still make it work, that's really exhausting to even think about, but very impressive. (laughs) To realize that amongst those 30 participants, everything seems to be possible. So, you know, every one of those women told me that's the right path for me, you know, but Mm -hmm. every path was very different to one another. So my biggest learning from, from, you know, just listening was, okay, there's not this one potential path all women have to follow if they want to have the successful global career no you have to decide for yourself what kind of family model do you want you know what is important to you what role do you want to play within the family but also within your career Uh, and this is a very very individual decision but you did mention that you had up to 100 participants that you could have interviewed and you chose to stop around 30 because you were starting to see redundancies or patterns So Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what were some broad strokes, takeaways, or patterns that you found within the women that you talked to, especially in terms of this whole topic of career and family? Yeah, it it depends. For example, if you go with a family module, I ask them, okay, what kind of family model are you living? And in the academic papers, I found those, you know, three types, which are called the chooser, the pragmatist, and the opportunist. Asking this question, okay, how do women balance career and family life? So if you um, go deeper into the chooser, those women are saying you can either have a successful career or you can have this, you know, beautiful family life from, you know, what you in the books and television, you know, two kids and a backyard and stuff like that, being able to be an attentive mom. So you have to choose between this or that. And I found those in my participants as well, but not so much obviously concerning focusing on the kids, but focusing on the career only. So actually deciding against having kids for the sake of their career. And then I found the pragmatic person who said, um, I want to have both and it's possible to have both, but not at the same time. So there is a, a place and a time for each of that. You know, there's a place and a time for having children and then when they're growing up, refocusing back on the career, which is very typically for, for Germany, right? So um, I can see that here again and again. Uh, taking the Elternzeit for about two years is quite common. It's not so common in other parts of the world. And um, I have seen those as well uh, within my participants, but not in the sense of focus on family and career only, but, you know, in, in the interplay with a partner, which was very interesting. Switching countries, you also switch your role within the family. So in one country, the husband is taking care of the money and the job and the woman was taking care of the children. In the next country, in the next assignment, it was the other way around. So that's actually a very modern strategy for dual career couples in an international setting. 
It's a really interesting way to do it then. So it's just trading off kind of. Yes, absolutely. A lot of negotiation relationship agreements are necessary there because, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if the job is very fulfilling right now and it, it can lead to a longer period for the one partner or the other. But yes, I've seen that happening. And those participants who shared their story about it have been very happy, actually. I wonder what percentage of participants would identify, either self-identify or that you would identify them as the chooser or as the pragmatist if the study was not about expat women, but rather a broader population, like maybe local population. Like you were saying in Germany, you see a lot of people who fall into the pragmatist category. Yes. And I'm thinking there are probably so many choosers out there who are would have been expat women, but they chose the family and they instead of the mm -hmm. career. And so they're they're not in this path. They're probably in their home country tending to their children right now instead of, you know, doing the career abroad and then, you know, participating in the survey, for instance. So it would be really interesting to know how the percentages kind of break down depending on what type of population you're looking at. But I think it is really neat to hear that even within the 30, there were all three types. And, you know, in, in my sample, a chooser one has been just 6%, so, you know, almost nothing. And I would agree with you that in a normal local life without this complexity of you know moving abroad and, and this kind of stuff especially in germany um i guess the chooser and the pragmatic person are dominant i would say and the the third type that you found yeah the most interesting type i guess somehow the opportunist um you know just saying i don't really care what society uh, tells me I want to create my own life and I just want to make it happen. I will place kind of a support system around me, create kind of an infrastructure to have it both at the same time, knowing that, of course, you can do one by one, first family, then career, then family, then career. But it comes a bit with a price tag when you have want to have a very you know, linear alpha career, because most careers, um, when you are highly ambitious, are shaped between the age of 30 and 40, which is, you know, also the age of when women are often becoming a mother. These women told me like, no, I can't decide. I don't want to decide. Why should I? Um, it should be possible simultaneously. And interestingly enough, I thought, okay, uh, because in academic papers, this type of person is mostly the, the generation Y and, and uh, Z, you know, the younger women. Mm -hmm. And in my study, actually, uh, it was the other way around. So huh. almost all the boomer um, and Generation X women have been opportunists and the chooser and pragmatic person have been more the younger one. So that was very interesting for me to see that, um, yeah, this, this very bold approach of doing it both at the same time was something that I found mostly with the women 50 and older. That is really interesting to hear because I, I, I kind of almost also would have assumed it's younger people and that it's a bit idealistic and not realistic and maybe I'm outing yes. myself as a pragmatist but um I, I would <laughs> I would think that this is coming from a more emotional moral standpoint of like no I, I can do both I can have it all but then I would have almost imagined that in over the years you're too busy with your career to start a family or you do have kids and then it kind of knocks your career off kilter a bit or something gets in the way that kind of shapes you away from that category but yeah that's so cool that you're saying actually it was the older one so this means it wasn't just a concept for them but rather something they actually lived and yes. experienced and my theory why that is especially on you know amongst the female expert is 
those 30 women have been really role models. They have been paving the way for other generations, you know, especially the older generations are telling me, I did this, you know, I was the first woman amongst all those men, but they never sent a woman abroad before to Asia, I was the first one. So they had been like role models back then, even more than today, because it was not, you know, actually not novel at all to have this opportunistic mindset with motherhood and career planning back then. Um, so it's, it's a certain kind of woman that I talked to, you know, they knew they are special in some way because they did it against all odds and they broke through the glass ceiling of their home country first, you know, managing, uh, to come to a certain career level to be able to be sent abroad. And then they went abroad, you know, um, crossing this, this global glass ceiling. Um, they did not care about the social standards at all. They just want to do it how they, envisioned their life to be. You came into this with just a big curiosity and and lots of interest about this topic. And then you went into all this research, reading the academic papers, doing some data collection of your own. And now when you take a step back and look at it overall, do you think that you were able to to answer the questions that you went into it with? And how? What what are the answers? What are the, the big takeaways for you? So for me, you know, I almost anticipated that those 30 women are like very alpha, linear, ambitious career women. That was like my, the image I had in my head before. And I was amazed to see that obviously that is not this black and white picture. It's, it's a very, very gray. And I have talked to 30 very different character traits. So uh, some of my biggest takeaways have been that what they all have in common is they have been very confident the way they're talking about their story. They really found their place in society and in life. They are aware of the sacrifices. They are very aware of the next step. They did it with intent. You know, they created their life with intent. Whilst, uh, you know, when I'm t- talking to expert partners who are happen to find themselves abroad and want, you know, to recreate something and uh, to find their to, to find their purpose again, this was different, you know, for them. It was their decision in the first place. Um, so I was kind of amazed to see, okay, that ha- when, when this happens and you, when you're in the driver's seat, you're really that confident telling your story. And um, it was interesting for me as well that they did not care at all what other think of them. So obviously, you know, family and friends back home are not so uh, happy about their life decision. Uh, and they have maybe different ideas of how mothers should, should look like and stuff like that. And obviously, they have been hurt by that at the beginning. So they shared with me, there have been tears, of course. There have been like questionings of, of, okay, is it really the right path for me or not? But with time and experience, they found, yes, they are kind of freed themselves from the opinions of others, which is especially complex for women and when having like uh, babies and they are so, you know, raw and vulnerable to society around them with their anticipations what they should do and shouldn't do so that was kind of interesting for me as well and for me most interesting was also to find not few women who did not want to live abroad and go abroad so they have not been uh, women who want to have the adventure or the career but they wanted to have some career and they wanted to have children and they could not do it in Germany or in Europe so they went abroad to make it happen Um, so these have been women who understood that, okay, society here is not supporting my vision for life and I can't afford childcare here in this setting or the childcare is just, you know, part-time possible or accessible. 
So they actually went abroad, not to live abroad, but just to make their life possible in the first place. Um, and that was interesting for me as well to see that kind of empowering of women. Um, okay, I can't make it here with the setting and the infrastructure here. Okay, then let's move somewhere else and do it there. Now that you have the results, what do you think that this is going to do, both in terms of your specific field of, of working with expat partners, but then also what do you think that the larger expat community and female expat community can do with this information? The hope is always that there will be more female expats out there, right, to have a more equal workforce, you know, knowing that uh, women are contributing so much and actually are improving every team structure. Companies would love to have more equal teams in terms of gender. So we all want to see more than just 20-30% of female expats out there. Um, and by sharing those stories, by sharing that it's not only the typical career woman who is, you know, sacrificing family um, going abroad, but no, there are different kinds of personalities. Um, by showcasing their stories, I want to, you know, shed light on this why are there a few women and debunk those myths. It's not only because of uh, they don't want to and stuff like that. And I'm very curious to see what will happen, actually. So obviously, I also asked my participants, what do you see for female expatriation in, in 10 years? Do you think there will be more of them? And unfortunately, like the majority is not very um, optimistic because almost all of them um, highlighted that you actually need the support of the partner. A, dual, a global dual career couple scenario is very, very tricky, especially abroad. You need to take care of the children even more than you know, back home in the local setting. Most of those participants in the relationship with children said, it's only possible because of my partner. Many of them said, okay, when they're looking around, you know, friends here abroad, the majority is still men and followed, you know, by the female expert partner uh, because they are still more uh, built to quit their job and move abroad with them. So I would actually agree with that as well. You know, when I look at my work with expert partners, uh, I can just prove them again with a study that their role is so, so, so important to make this whole adventure possible in the first place. I mean, it really sounds like a lot of these women are incredible role models that, yeah, that we could all learn a lot from. And I'm wondering if, to wrap us up right now, if you would like to share one or two of the quotes that have really stuck with you from these participants turned role models that you have in your study? Sure, absolutely. Let's see. So maybe um, about the future of the female aspect, because there is a partner also involved. Girls and women need to realize that they have to take their fate in their own hands. No one is waiting for them. In Ireland, we tend to wait till something happens, but I learn to take action on my own. I think careers will be more mobile and that is an opportunity for women. Women have to be more confident and learn how to sell themselves. A male CV is always overselling while the female CV is always underselling. You have to be proactive on LinkedIn and push yourself and reach out. You make your own luck. And this one's very similar to that as well. Um, I asked, okay, will it be more women? And she said, no, in my opinion, uh, women always put themselves in this position. It's 2022 and we still have this issue. It's homemade. Many women put themselves in the submissive position. And actually, there was the opinion of many of them that we should stop whining about our situation, but just do something about that. 
And here one about the partner, but there are two sides and women have to get out of this victim role. I think there will be more and more single women in ma many areas. It is not the question of men or women, but rather how the women position themselves. Are there any from the single moms? There are a couple of them, but they are reflecting on the family modules. Um, for me, children just didn't happen. I didn't proactively decide against it. But I have noticed all the options in my environment, especially in Germany. I see the chooser type, create women who are in the middle of their careers and then sacrifice their careers for the family. I don't understand that and find it a waste. But I have also seen career women in India and the USA who have children and have built up a support system that supports them. They don't have to take over the bad and exhausting parts, but spend the good times with their children. I find that very pragmatic. I have seen that for many single mothers in particular, it has never been as easy as it was during their time as expats, thanks to the support network and the benefits around it. Do you have any, any more that stand out in your head um, that you wanted to share? Yes, maybe one with a partner. If I were to do it again today, I might be the opportunist. But back then, the kindergartens were only open from 9 to 12, and so we had to decide on a career. We chose my career and my partner stayed home with the children. I just find it amazing that, you know, um, they have decided that back then. So she was a, a boomer and um, for the husband to stay home back then was even a bigger decision than it is now. Because, you know, now it's kind of hipster and you can actually do it. But back then it was really something uh, very new. Yeah, it's quite radical, actually. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Huh. With those wonderful quotes, then we will round the corner and head to home with the ending segment, which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. So it is a rapid fire question round where I ask you three questions that you answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> what is, in your opinion, the best weekend getaway from Munich? Oh, it must be, you know, to go to the mountains, obviously. You know, you can just take the public transport and within an hour you are in the Alps or at a nice lake. So, yeah, very convenient. If you want to go there without the crowds, you have to wake up very, very early. So, you know, start the day at six o'clock at the latest. Whoa. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's more doable for you because you have a young daughter who probably gets you up I'm early awake. anyway. <laughs> yeah, which brings me to question number two, which is I imagine there's many books that you read to and with your daughter. What's your favorite one? It's a Panda Palace, actually, um, that was recommended to me while we have been living in Chicago. And, and we actually read the story of the Panda Palace every day. And I can, you know, <laughs> I say everything by heart. I know all the lines by heart by now. So <laughs> yes, that's kind of a nice memory of our Chicago time as well. And finally, if you could get a job contract, a two-year-long job contract that starts in, let's say, six months, and it could be anywhere in the world, where would you want it to be? Taiwan. Um, I was there only for three months a couple of years ago, and I have still many friends there, and I keep you know, telling my husband, please, 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 can we go to Taiwan? I know the situation there is a bit tricky right now, but I so miss the, the good food and, you know, the people there. So, yeah, I would go there uh, just, you know, immediately and pack my bags and my daughter and my husband and go there. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. 
Well, one thing I've always really admired about you and your work is that you have a really good balance between the the hard facts and making things very academic and quantitative, but you also have a feel for the qualitative and the sort of interpersonal and the individual amongst it all. So um, it was really cool getting to hear how that how both parts came into play with this with this study. And for people who want to reach out, who want to read the study, maybe learn more about you and your work, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on my website. You know, it's the best way to reach me, shadowloft.blog. You're right. It's my focus to make information accessible. So I really are aiming to have this intersection of academic data, but also portraying role models in that field, quotes, you know, showing the real-life scenarios there. So, um, yeah, everything you know, on shadowlove.blog is about empowering, inspiring, about career planning, about balancing family and career while living abroad, uh, repatriating all this kind of stuff. And I also decided to offer this study for free, um, just, you know, because it's so important for me to also do something to contribute to a more equal workforce in a global setting. And I'm doing that by, you know, just, just sharing the word about that. So if you want to download the study and have all the access information, all the quotes and all the, you know, info about, okay, how do career planning actually work and what is the difference between an alpha career and a better career uh, and stuff like that, you can just, you know, download it for free uh, on shadowlove.blog. I love some open access information. So yeah, we will definitely link to that in the show notes. Uh, Kate, thank you so much for coming on now the third time to the podcast. It was, as always, an absolute (laughs) delight and I learned a lot. So thank you. It was a pleasure, Nicole. Thank you so, so much for hosting me again. Thanks again to Kate for coming onto the Expat Cast for a third time. As always, it's an absolute delight. Links to Kate's website and to the study itself are in the show notes. Definitely go ahead and check her out. While you're at it, make sure you're following me on Twitter and on Instagram at The Expat Cast, and you can visit me online at theexpatcast.com. I thrill every time I get a new rating and review, so don't forget to leave me some stars and tell me what you love about the show. And a final reminder, I am prepping for the season finale. Let me know if you're interested in a compilation episode where I hear from you guys about how living abroad plays into your decision to have kids or not. You can let me know on social media or on the contact form of my website. As always, I want to thank Amy Linky Art for the logo and Side Hug for the theme music. They're on Instagram at a hug from the side. On Thursday, I'll be back in your feeds with an interview with a single mom living abroad. Till then, have a wonderful week. Stay healthy and stay safe. Bis dann. Tschüss.